Good morning. <clears throat> it's wonderful to see everyone here. As Franklin said, we, if you are visiting with us, we want to thank you so much for being here with us. <clears throat> you have blessed us with, 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 your, with, with your presence here, and we invite you back at any time that you can be here with us. We want to thank everyone for being here this morning. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to be here together as brothers and sisters to worship God, and we appreciate every single one of you seizing the opportunity to be here with us this morning. It's a wonderful opportunity we have this morning to sing songs of praise unto our God, and we appreciate every one of you seizing the opportunity to be here with us this morning. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us to study from God's Word so that we can grow and be edified and be blessed in our Christian lives. And we appreciate everyone seizing the opportunity to be here with us this morning, to study God's Word. It's a wonderful time. It's a wonderful place that we can be, that we can come away from the world, and that we can focus on God, that we can focus on His Son and focus on studying His Word, that we can improve our lives and that we can improve the lives of those that we meet. It's a wonderful time for us to, to be here this morning. I'm going to have all the verses up here on the board. All the verses up here on the board are going to be from the King James Version this morning, but there's going to be several times where we're going to turn with, for, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to the Bible together. So I encourage you to have a Bible there handy. If you have one on your cell phone or one that you brought with you, have it with you, have it ready, have it handy as we turn and we read and we study the Scriptures together this morning. The thing that I want us to talk about this morning is, a, is an issue that's going to be kind of hard for me to talk about because it's something that I deal with all the time. It's something that I'll say I fail at all the time, and it's my anger and losing my temper. And I want us to talk this morning about anger and losing our temper. And if that inside voice right now at that moment is saying, no, Justin, don't talk about anger, my inside voice was screaming that for weeks. Don't talk about it because it's something that I have a very big problem with. But the things that we have problems with in our lives, the Bible can teach us how to overcome those problems. And that's why we're here this morning, so we can talk about those things. So we can strive to not have this losing our temper anymore. And I'm going to open up myself, and I'm going to open up some personal things about myself and what has happened to me in this particular issue. And I hope that it helps us and edifies us and benefits us this morning. But I want us to talk about anger and losing our temper this morning. First of all, some of the things I want us to talk about, some of the things I want us to study, is it a sin to be angry? We'll just uh, talk, uh, talk, uh, talk about is it a sin to just have that anger, to feel that anger? And what does the Bible say about anger? Because I, I looked up anger, and I, and I looked up some other uh, uh, definitions about anger, but sometimes it's best to just go to the Bible, see what the Bible says about anger, and see some examples of anger. And I want to look at God in anger. I want to look at his son, Jesus Christ, in anger, and some other people in the Bible, and when they had anger and how they dealt with that anger, either wrong or how they dealt with that anger correctly. <clears throat> You know, Psalms chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, O Lord, rebuke, not, rebuke me not in thy anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. God judgeth the righteous. In Psalms chapter 7, verse 11, the Bible says, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So here it says that, it's, this, it's David here is saying in Psalms chapter 6, Lord, don't rebuke me in thy anger, and don't chasten me in thy hot displeasure. And in, verse, in Psalm 7, it says, God is angry with the wicked every day. So is it sinful to just have anger, to be anger? Well, God has no sin. God does not sin, just like his son, Jesus Christ, where there is no sin. So if you have that anger or you feel anger, that's not a sin in of itself. It's what happens after you have that anger. What do you do? How do you respond to that anger? Do you lose your temper or do you keep it in check? And it says here that the Lord has hot displeasure. And I'll tell you, as a parent with children, I have felt some hot displeasure. That during my raising of my four children, there have been times where I have felt a little hot. You know, where you just start breathing kind of heavy. And you're like, oh my goodness, why did you do that? And their answer is always, I have no idea why I did that. And then the hot displeasure comes. But how do we deal with that? 
Say, God is angry with the wicked every day. So just inherently, you having anger or feeling that anger is not sinful. Here in the Bible says in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched, that's they, that's the Pharisees, that's the scribes, and they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. So before we go further, just understand that the ones that are watching Jesus right now are the Pharisees and the scribes. And the reason they're watching to see if they're going to heal this man is so that they could accuse him. Because if you recall from last Sunday, Brother Nathan's lesson talked about these scribes and these Pharisees, how they just distorted the Sabbath day. How they added all these regulations and all these things on the Sabbath day that were not in God's word. And they're not caring. Their perspective is not about healing that man. Their perspective, their desire is to catch Jesus and accuse him because they did not like Jesus. And they wanted Jesus put to death. They wanted Jesus to not do those things that he's doing. So keep that in context when we read this. Then in Mark chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, the Bible says, And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. Verse 5, And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. So here Jesus is saying he knows their hearts, he knows their thoughts, he knows what they want to do. And he says here, is it lawful to do good or evil, to save life or to kill life on the Sabbath day? And he looked around them with anger, and he was grieved in his heart. So Jesus here was angry with these people. Did he have a reason to be angry with these people? And it also says that he was grieved in their hearts. He was upset because of the way they were acting, because of the way that they were thinking. Have you ever felt angry or grieved and upset because of the way someone was acting or the way someone was treating you? But what did Jesus do? Did he just stand up and start slapping them around and all that kind of stuff? Throwing a temper tantrum? No. He healed that man, showing them that it is good to do good on the Sabbath day and to save life. But they had the wrong perspective. And that's what I want us to think about when we have anger, when we feel anger. What is our perspective towards those people? You know, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, the Bible here says, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Rakah, shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. And then come and offer thy gift. So as, uh, before we study verse 22, remember that in this situation, when these things happen, one of the things that they want to happen is you want to be reconciled with that person that has offended you or that has angered you. You want to get to the point where you could be reconciled with that brother, that sister, or that spouse, or those children, or whatever's going on. But here's what I want us to think about. In verse 22, it says, There that whosoever is angry with thy brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So one of the first things that when we feel that anger, because I don't want to hide that, we're going to get anger. We're going to feel some anger. First thing, do you have a cause? Is there a reason for your anger? Many times when I get angry and I just stop and think about it for a moment, there's no reason for me to be angry. There's no cause for me to be angry. Did Jesus have a cause to be angry with those people? Yes, he did, because they were wanting to accuse him. They weren't caring about saving this man's withered hand. They're wanting to get Jesus. So one of the things that I want us to think about when we feel that anger and to put that in check is, is there a cause? Is there a reason for that anger? And many times in my life, as I look at it, a lot of times there is no cause. There is no reason. And I could just put that aside and never get to the point that we're going to talk about here in a minute. 
You know, in John chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, before I start these verses, if you have not had an opportunity to be with us here on Wednesday nights when we're studying the book of John, I'll encourage you to do so because we've already studied John chapter 7, and we're going to talk about John chapter 5 some too. That if you, don't have the, if you have the opportunity, we encourage you to be here with us on Wednesday nights and we've been studying this book, and you're in luck because we're not done. We still have some more chapters in studying John, but I'll encourage you to, to do that. If not, we have podcasts that you can go back and listen to all those studies in the book of John. I'll encourage you to do that. If not, we have a podcast for other churches, other ones in our brotherhood, and you can go back and listen to all those things. It's just a, just a quick thing that I, I want to say that if you have the time, listen to those podcasts so that you can grow in the knowledge and the word of God. But John chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. If you, if you recall back in our study in John chapter 5, that one work was there was this impotent man. There was this sick man beside this pool. And he could not go to this pool because at a certain time of day, an angel would come down and stir the water. And anyone that stepped into that pool would be healed of whatever infirmity or whatever they had going on. But this man could never get to the pool because he couldn't move. He was stuck on his couch. And everybody would line jump. Or if you've seen kids, they line jump all the time. People would line jump, and he was never able to do that. And Jesus came. And Jesus healed that man. He said, take up thy couch and walk. And this was all done on, guess what, the Sabbath day. Just like those Pharisees and those scribes had all those things wrong with that Sabbath day, those rules and and those regulations. So he healed this man, told him to take up his couch. And then the Pharisees and the scribes all saw that. And they said, you're not supposed to be carrying your couch on the Sabbath day and all these things. And it boils down to they were upset that Jesus has done this thing on the Sabbath day. So here Jesus says in John chapter 7, John chapter 7, referring to that incident in John chapter 5, Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, that work that we just talked about, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. Verse 23, if a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me? Because I have made... I have made a man every wit or every bit whole on the Sabbath day. He's kind of giving them some logic and some reason here. He's saying, look, on the Sabbath day, you do circumcision so that the law is kept. And you're performing circumcision. You're doing something so that the law of God is kept. And that is good. We don't want that law to be broken. And he said, I've just healed a man completely. This man is made whole. He is walking around. And you guys are angry at me because of that? Do you see that logic there? They had no cause or no reason to be angry with Jesus. If you think about it, they had none. They had just distorted this Sabbath day, so, so they thought that they did. But really, he said, you've got no reason to be angry at me. I made this man whole, and he is well. So they had no reason or cause to be angry with Jesus there. In John chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, as we talk about this one particular thing here, we're going to look at Jesus going to a, a situation. And we're going to talk about that situation, how Jesus reacted in that, in that, in that situation. John chapter 2, verses thir- uh, verse 13, the Bible says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and the Jews went up to Jerusalem, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changers of money sitting. Verse 15, And when he had made a scourge of small cords, or a whip of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and overthrew the, uh, the tables. So as you see here, when I study this, or when I read this, it seems like there's some anger going on here, Right? It seems that Jesus is going in here, and he's overthrowing these tables, and he's driving these people out. Does he have a cause for, uh, for that? Does he have a reason for that? And before we go any further, let's make clear that what's going on here is the Son of God. 
is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not going into that situation like we might and be like, what are you guys doing? What is going on here? You guys can't be doing this stuff and just start throwing a hissy fit. I don't have that ability, but Jesus did to go into that situation knowing what was going on, knowing the hearts and minds of those, knowing those that were guilty, those that were innocent. He knew all those things. So when Jesus goes and does these things, is he's acting in a sinful way? Absolutely not, because he's the son of God. But when I study this, I think of myself, well, I am not Jesus. I am not him. Verse 16, it says, And said unto them that soul does, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And the disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thy house hath eaten them up. So it says here that Jesus said, Get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. So there's a cause there for, for the way that, that Jesus responded. There's a cause, there's a reason there for what he did. These people were doing things wrong. These people need to make sacrifice to God, and they were making money off of that. Say, so you need some doves for sacrifice? I got some right here. How much money do you got? And that upset Jesus, and he made sure that they knew that this was not right and it was not wrong. So Jesus responded in a very calm way. I'm sure Jesus did not go in there foaming at the mouth and just doing all these things. He responded in a way that was in, in a way that needed to be done because they had made his father's house a house of merchandise or a den of thieves. They had distorted all these things. So even though Jesus was, was upset, he knew what he was going into, and he reacted in a godly way. And that's what I want us to take for, uh, from that, that when we feel those feelings, we should stop and think about how we should act and do that in a godly way. Turn with me to the book of Jonah. Most are going to be in Jonah chapter 3. If you would, grab a Bible and turn to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to read some in Jonah chapter 3 just a little bit. We're going to skip around a little bit in, in, in Jonah chapter 3 as well as Jonah chapter 4. And, and, and as you turn to the book of Jonah, one of the things that everyone remembers in the book of Jonah was he was swallowed by a whale, right? Everyone remembers that, that, he, that God called him out to do something. He ran away, and that he was on a ship, and there was a storm, and they say, what's going on? And the other people, the sailors there, was like, figured out that it was Jonah was the one that had displeased his God, and they threw him overboard. And a giant fish swallowed up Jonah because God had prepared that fish, that whale. But what I want us to study is after that. What's going on after that? In, in, in Jonah chapter 3, in Jonah chapter 2, he prays for deliverance, and, and God delivers him. He, the whale spits out Jonah, and Jonah is okay. And now, in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, because the first time he said, I need you to go to Nineveh and preach to these people, because they're doing wrong. They're wicked and they're evil. And, and it says there, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah be, began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he starts teaching them. He starts going in there. He, he changes his mind. He's going to go do the will of God. So he goes into this city and he starts preaching and telling them that this something's going to happen. This destruction is going to come down upon you guys. In verse 5 it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to, uh, to, uh, to the least. So they heard what was going on. They listened to Jonah. And they said, okay, guys, we, we've got to change our way because God is, is, is going to come down. And he's going to do these things. So let's proclaim a fast. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10, skipping down to verse 10 in Jonah chapter 3. The Bible says, Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So apparently, Jonah did a good job. 
he went and he, he, he preached the word of God. He told them what was going on. And these people repented. They had changed their ways. And now God has said, I'm not going to destroy them. So God was angry. And now God said, I'm not going to do that. They've repented, so I'm ready to forgive because our God is always ready to forgive. And he is full of, of mercy. But Jonah's not. It says here in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Verse 3, Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, Jonah did not like these people. He was upset that they repented. He thought they deserved destruction. But God said, no, no, I'm going to save them. And Jonah is upset. He's like, I knew this was going to happen, God. You know why? Because you're a good God. You are full of mercy. You're full of forgiveness. I knew this was going to happen. This is not what I wanted to happen, so just kill me. Verse 4, Jonah chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So just thinking about that, God says, why are you angry? He said, this is what I wanted to happen. And so God is there basically telling them, you've got no reason or no cause to be angry. He said, you went and did what I wanted you to do. You went and did the, word, the will of God, and these people have repented. You should be happy about these things. God is basically saying, I'm happy. They repented. I'm not going to destroy them. But what's funny about Jonah is he's just mad, just mad because he thought these people deserved to be destroyed. And he's angry about it. And God is basically saying, Jonah, you've got no reason to be angry. If Jonah would have just stopped and thought about it for a moment, he wouldn't have got to this point. And that's what happens to me a lot of times, that I get angry. And if I just think about it for just a moment, I realize that I've got no reason to be angry. But what happens when we lose our temper? The damage caused by losing our temper. Because that happens sometimes. That we understand that just having anger... Is not sinful, but what happens when we feel that anger? What do we do? How do we respond to that? That is where it's either good or bad. That's where it's either godliness or worldliness. And I want to talk about that damage caused by losing our temper. You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8, the Bible says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of of fools. So here it says, be patient. That I, I'm not going to talk about patience a lot, but patience and humbleness, these things go a long way to not being the fool. Because it says here, if you're hasty or you're quick-tempered and you lose your temper and you fly off the handle, that is foolishness. It is saying that type of anger that just rests in, in, in the bosom of fools is those that react to that anger in an ungodly way all the time. And here it's saying that the proud, it says here, the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. That a lot of times, it's been that way for me, my prideful self, my chest puffing up self, my self-confident proud self is the one that does foolishly when I feel anger. It says, be not hasty, don't be quick-tempered, because that is foolishness. Proverbs chapter 29, I've got a lot of Proverbs. So if you like studying Proverbs, you're in luck, because there's a bunch of them here this morning. And I'll encourage you to go read all of Proverbs because Proverbs deals with this particular issue a lot. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22, the Bible says, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgressions. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. It says, An angry man stirreth up strife. An angry man just makes trouble. 
An angry man just stirs up wrongness and striving. It says a furious man aboundeth in transgressions. Those that just let that anger overtake them and they just do things and they say things that they should not is because of that anger. And those that are angry and do that, they abound in transgressions. We, we transgress sometimes, but if we let our anger overtake our lives, we will abound in transgression. We will constantly be doing or saying or thinking the wrong thing. It says, an angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. The very next verse says that man's pride shall bring him low. That pride is a big deal. You need to keep your pride in check, especially when you get angry. How dare someone say that to me? Have you ever had that thought? A lot of times the next thing that happens to me is not good. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, the Bible says, The wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. This here, the fool rageth or is angry, that rage, and is confident. And that word confident there, if you look at that word in the New King James Version, that's self-confident. That many times that self-confident, prideful person is going to be the one that's going to act foolishly when they have that anger. When they are soon angry, they dealeth foolishly. If we are quick-tempered, more than likely the things that we say or the things that we do is going to be foolish because we need to make sure that we respond in a godly fashion. And we're going to talk about something here in just a moment where I have failed many times, and I'm going to save a lot of us probably have here too. In Proverbs chapter 18, verses 19 through 21, the Bible says, The brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and his contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. It says a brother offended is hard to fix that, that if you offend a brother, it's going to be difficult, like storming a castle is. And I've never stormed a castle, but I've seen lots of movies. That's not easy to do. But you want to win that city. If you're going to offend a brother in your anger, that's going to be hard to fix that problem. But here in verse 21, where it says death and life are in the power of the tongue, that is my big problem. And a lot of times it happens with my children and my family. That when I get angry and I lose my temper, my mouth pours out foolishness. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 21, it says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the, fool, but the mouth of the fools poureth out foolishness. That many times in my life when I have been angry and I've lose, lost my temper with Miranda or with my children, things come out of my mouth that are foolish and they are destructive and they are words that just stir up strife and anger. Because many times when I, if I lose my temper and I say something to, to someone, their temper might have been good, but now it's not because it's just stirring up anger. It's making all this frustration and all these things. That if I just stop and I think and I talk about what we talked about earlier, do I even have a cause to be angry? Do I have a reason to be angry? And if I don't, I could just stop. I could pray about that and I could put that, that away. And even if there is a cause to be angry, because if you've raised children, there's going to be a little bit of a cause for anger. But how do you deal with that? Do you deal with that in a way that is constructive and edifying or in a way that is destructive and destroying? So that's one of the things that I struggle with a lot, that when I have that anger, if I don't think about it and keep myself in check and respond to that anger in a godly manner, it's going to be foolish. And that is so dangerous. And not just to my children, as I'm talking about my children, because I had that relationship there. This could go with your brother and sister. This could go with your coworkers. This could go with your spouse at any time. You can do these things, and it can be harmful. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is one thing that I have failed at before many times, that when I am angry, I provoke my children to wrath because I say things that I should not. That I get angry and I say things and then they get upset and then they get angry and it's not helping the problem. It's not fixing the problem. The Bible says, fathers, don't do that. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Husbands, don't do that. Don't say those things to your spouse. Wives, don't say those things to your husband. Keep those angry words as Nathan sang about earlier. Keep them in check. Don't let them come out. In Colossians chapter 3, which we're going to study a lot of Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 this morning, because they teach a lot of similar things. But this one hits home for, uh, for me a little bit more. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as, as, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. That one's rough. Discouraged. Many times... If I discourage my children or my coworkers or those around me because of the words that have come out of my mouth, it says don't provoke your children to anger. Because if I get angry, what are they going to do when they get older? Are they going to treat their children the same way and this cycle of anger and losing their temper just continues? The Bible does not want that. It says bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the nurture and admonition of the Lord is not throwing a hissy fit and a tantrum. It's not saying things that discourage people. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 4 is a story that many of us are probably familiar with. Genesis chapter 4 is going to be verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 4, <clears throat> beginning of verse 1, the Bible says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of his sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your, has your countenance fell? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Verse 8, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now here's an example of someone losing their anger or losing their, or having their anger and losing their temper. And what happens? Someone loses their life. They hear that it said that Cain was angry. He was angry because he did not do well. He did not do good. But guess who did do good? Abel did. Was Abel at fault? No. What wrong did Abel did? Nothing. Did, did Abel deserve Cain's anger poured out upon him? No. Cain was the one that had the problem. Cain was the one that was angry because his sacrifice was not good. And, and, and God said, why are you angry? It's the same thing. Is there, there, what's the cause there? What's the reason for your anger? He said, if you do well, you're going to be accepted. So that means if Cain's offering was well, it would have been accepted, but it wasn't. And it says there that don't be upset or angry because somebody else did well. It says if you do well, that's going to be good. If you don't do well, it says sin lieth at the door and sin desires to have you. And I read those verses and I think about my anger. That if I don't do well and I get angry about it or someone does well and I get angry at them for doing well, guess what's at the door? 
It's sin. When you're angry, you have the opportunity to open that door and let sin in or keep the door shut and respond to that in a godly manner. But every time you're angry, sin is right there. And sin desires you. It wants you, just like Satan does. Satan uses that anger. When you're angry, Satan's right there. And this man, Cain, his anger drove him to murder his brother. Now, I've never murdered anyone, but I've had some, some things happen to me where I thought I did good and I didn't. And it made me just upset and jealous and envying of my brother or my sister. And I felt angry about it. Do we do that? Do we get angry with each other? Because someone does good and someone does bad, is there a cause or a reason for the people in this room to be angry at each other? Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 through 25. The Bible says here in Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 through 25, Make no friendship with an angry man, but with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. If you notice, I highlight some things in blue and that's because it's very important. And I want us to make sure that we understand that. Here in Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 through 25, it says, Make no friendship with an angry man. It says, If there's someone that's angry and just raging all the time, don't hang out with that person. Don't be friends with that person. Why? Because you could learn their ways. Well, guess what? As a father, if I'm angry at my children, are they going to learn my ways? As a brother and sister in Christ, if I'm angry with you, are you going to learn my ways? Now, this is a warning to not be friends with that person, but guess what? We could be that person if we do not watch ourselves. We could be the person that God's word is warning people to not be around. We could be that person that is God is warning to. Don't be with them because it could be a snare. You could learn their ways. Make no friendship with an angry man, lest thou learn his ways. Let's not be this person. Let's not be that person who is angry and who's losing our temper all the time, that people are going to learn our ways. And God says, don't make friends with that person. Put off the old man, put on the new man. That if you have these struggles or these problems too, I understand. It's time to put off that old way of thinking with that anger and put on this new man. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible there, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 17. Here the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 concerning that new man, it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all in cleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as a truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 26, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you have sealed, who, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This sets of verses really bring home what we've been talking about here. That the man who, who deals in this way 
is one who is not losing his temper. Here the Bible says that those that were did these things, that they used to practice this anger, used to practice all these greediness and things, so you need to put that away because you are gods. We are gods now. And we have been created, that new man has been created in righteous and true holiness. But it's a continuous thing that we need to work on. That many times when I read these verses in Ephesians and Colossians where I say put on the, the, take off the, put on the new man or, or take, put off the old man, put on the new man, I was thinking, oh, those that are not baptized and those that are baptized. And that is part of it, but it goes way further than that. It's about a change of life and a change of perspective. And that we should strive to have that change of life and that change of perspective. So when I do get angry, I feel angry, I have that love and that perspective for those people around me. And I won't get to that point that we talked about in Proverbs. Where it says here, be angry and sit not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That is excellent stuff for us to practice, things that we should work on. That if you do feel angry, deal with that and deal with it quickly. Don't let that stew. Because if you have that anger and you don't try to deal with it, whether that's going to God or going to your brother and sister and talking about it or going to that person and talking about it, you just let it stew and you let it build up, that's not good. That's the advice here. Not that it says don't let the sun go down upon your wrath and we got till 7 o'clock and later on 5 o'clock, you better hurry up and deal with that anger. It's just saying get it taken care of in a timely fashion. And it says there, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is for edification. That's what we talked about. That's that power of tongue. It's either life or death. Even in that anger, even when you want to discipline somebody, that could be used for edification. That you can administer that constructive criticism or whatever needs to happen, that corrective action, and do it in an edifying manner. And that we be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, loving one another, loving one another, and loving one another. We can say that over and over again. Because that is the bond of perfection that's going to help fix that anger, that losing temper, if you have that problem. Let's go back to God and his nature here in Psalm chapter 103, verses 8 through 9. The Bible says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Look, God has that anger. We, just, we, we studied that earlier, that God is angry with the wicked every day, but God is slow to anger. He doesn't just do like that. He said, Our God is, is plenteous in mercy, like we read about in Jonah. That God was angry, they repented, they fasted. Guess what? The God who was full of mercy and grace is right there. Just like that father and that, and, and that prodigal son coming home. He's ready to, to, to forgive. And so he will not keep his anger forever. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. The Bible says, If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For, for, for you died, for your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will, will, will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication and cleanliness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience, in which you, you yourself once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off, the old, put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. 
Verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. In everything that you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord. I failed at that before. That when that temper, that anger rises, the words that are coming out of my mouth, I'm not doing those in the name of the Lord. I'm doing those in the name of Justin who wants to get somebody and teach them a lesson. It says here, this similar, this similar language here, that we were those that had that anger, that had those things, and God is calling you to put those things off. Put off those things and be that new person that is in righteousness and true holiness. Where it says there that let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. As we study this particular topic of anger, one of the best things that we can do to try to cure that and not lose our temper is to study God's word. And have his word dwell in us with that wisdom. Because we talked about that wisdom. We talked about those verses in Proverbs and those verses in Ecclesiastes and all those things. If we study those anger verses, you will be able to have that knowledge and that wisdom to where you will react or respond properly and it says there forgiving one another and being long-suffering now one of the things that we need is self-control because i don't want to hide the fact that we're going to have anger because it's going to happen we will feel some anger but we need to have self-control when we feel that anger add to your anger self-control that's a little play on words as we're going to study second peter here in just a moment but i'm going to have anger again it's going to happen to me and I'm going to feel some anger. But if I add to that anger, self-control, I will not respond in a way that is foolish. I'll not respond in a way that is ungodly. I will respond in a way that is edifying and loving because I have that right perspective and that self-control. You know, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through, uh, uh, through 10, the Bible says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and, and virtue. Verse 4, whereby... Are, where, where, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, <clears throat> excuse me, that by these ye might be uh, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside these, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. That word temperance, that is self-control. So the Bible here is saying you have been called to godliness. You have been called to holiness. You've got these exceeding precious promises. So now that you have that faith in those exceeding precious promises, it says that you should be diligent to add to that faith these things, virtue, knowledge, temperance, and a temperance patience, and a patience godliness, that we need that temperance, we need that self-control, so that when we feel those angers, we don't lose our temper and things just come out of our mouth that shouldn't. Verse 7, the Bible says, And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. It says there, if these things be in you and abound. If we're going to add these things, knowledge and temperance and patience and brotherly kindness and charity and self-control, these things need to be in us and abound. And if they are abounding, they're overflowing in us. We're not going to react to that anger in a way that is ungodly and destructive or discouraging to our brothers and sisters or our family members. So it says here, he's that lack these things is blind. That many times I didn't have that self-control. 
So I was blind, and I was reacting in a way that is not good. And it says there, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Going back to the, the previous verses there, it also says giving diligence. If you look up the word diligence, that means constant effort. You are constantly making sure that you are being diligent and adding that self-control. That's what I want us to understand this morning. That it just doesn't happen that me and my job as being a CNC programmer, and I'll tell you from someone who's not, who didn't go to college, that for me to get that knowledge where I can do that job took a very long time. But now I can do it. I've got that knowledge. I've got that experience so I can do these things. So I want us to, to, to think that if you're having these problems with anger and you're losing your temper, don't think that you're going to walk out here tomorrow and it's all going to be fixed. It takes time and it takes effort to add to yourself these particular virtues, to add to yourself that self-control, and it takes diligence. So I want us to be diligent in those things, that we constantly work at those things because it's a battle for us to have that self-control. Proverbs chapter 19, you thought we were done with Proverbs. There's one more proverb. Proverbs 19, verse 11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. As I said, I like to highlight things that are important. That's why this whole verse is highlighted blue. This is an example or a definition of a man who has self-control. This is an example of a person who knows how to respond to that anger. It says, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger and his glory to pass over a transgression. That's self-control, brothers and sisters. If someone has a transgression and you have the, the power to overlook that transgression and not respond in an ungodly manner, that's someone who has self-control. If you recall Riley's reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, that it was talking about a race and running a race. I didn't have Riley do that because he's a cross-country reader or cross-country runner who did that reading. But because it takes time, if you want to be the master of something, if you want to strive for mastery, it takes a lot of time and effort. And you must discipline yourself, and that doesn't happen very good either. These are things that I've talked about this morning to y'all that I am still working on, and I will be working on for a while. These things that I need to fix, and it takes time to have that diligence and to add that self-control to oneself. But this, write that down, Proverbs 19, verse 11, is what we should strive for when it has self-control in our anger. In closing, I want us to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. <clears throat> Here the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There's that love again. Love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even as this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one, by one another. When I read those verses, that if you bite and devour one another and you will be consumed by, by one another, anger's got to be in there somewhere. There's some anger floating around there. It's, there's some people that are not having that self-control. Verse 16, the Bible says, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these things are contrary to one another, that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are idolatry, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Uh, which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who are practiced such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have been crucified, the flesh with the passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And let us not become uh, conceited, provoking one another, envying, envying one another. This is full of warnings. This whole study here is full of warnings. And it's not that I'm just wanting to hurry up and get to the fruit of the Spirit. I want us to look at those other things. Outburst of wrath. That's not, is that not what we've been talking about this morning? Is that not someone who loses their temper? It says, put these things away. Those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temp, uh, uh, self-control there at the end. And that's what we've been talking about. We want to have that self-control in our lives. But what I want us to really understand there is where it says in verse 17, for the flesh lust against, or verse 16, Galatians 5, 16, the Bible says, I say... I, this I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another, contrary the one, contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would, or you cannot do the things that you wish. What this is saying here is that when it comes with our anger and our losing our temper, the fleshly self wants to do that. That's how I see it in myself, that it's a battle for me to not lose my temper. Because the self, the fleshly man, that's what he wants to do. But the spirit doesn't want you to do that. The spirit wants you to respond to that anger in a godly fashion. But guess what? They're contrary to one another. That means they're fighting each other. There's friction there inside ourselves. And it's going to be a battle for us to make sure that we are diligent to not lose our temper. So I want to encourage you to continue to think on these things, continue to study these things, continue to try to have that, that self-control, add to your faith that self-control. And it's going to take time because there's going to be that battle. There's going to be that war. There's going to be those things that you want to do and the Spirit wants you to do. So I want to encourage you to continue to try to fight that battle so that you are the one that responds to your anger in a godly self-control manner. This morning, if you are not a child of God, this has been a lesson on the first principles, but if you have been, have you been taught and you want to be, when you want to obey the gospel, you want to be baptized in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that you can start that new life. There's water right here behind me. This water is ready. If you feel convicted and you want to respond to that, we are here to help you if you wish to be baptized in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are going through some anger issues or some anger problems, like I said earlier, I understand that. And many times what I've realized is that when I have that anger, when I have those problems, when I want to lose my temper, if I go to my brothers and sisters or my spouse and I talk about these things, I'm able to deal with them better. That I'm not asking you to deal with these things by yourself. We are here together as a family and we can help each other in this issue and in other issues and in all issues. And if you need the prayers of the church or there's anything that we can help you with, we'd ask that you please come sit on the front row and make your wishes known as we stand and we sing.